When we first moved into Leicestershire six years ago, my family and I took a walk in the fields one summer's evening with the dog. It must have been July and the fields were full of wheat, almost ready to harvest. As we walked along the fields, we took some of the heads of grain and rubbed them between our fingers until the chaff became brittle and broke away and blew off in the wind. And then we ate the grain and as we were doing it, walking along that evening, I suddenly realised 2,000 years later, we are living a gospel moment, just like it said in our reading from Luke chapter 6. The disciples began to pick some ears of corn, rub them in their hands, and to eat the grain. Wonderful. It was just living the Bible for a moment. But of course, the big mistake that the disciples made was they got caught, not by the farmer, but by the Pharisees. The Pharisees didn't like it, because what they were doing was working, harvesting, on the Sabbath. I can kind of understand that. Back in the 80s, I was living in Wales, and in Wales then, society was really pretty traditional, especially around Sunday observance. On Sundays, all the shops were shut. Ceredigion, where we were living, the pubs were shut as well, because Ceredigion was a dry county, as it was called then. You weren't allowed to sell alcohol at all. Uh, things were pretty quiet and sometimes pretty miserable. During that time, we went on a holiday to the Isle of Skye, and I can remember coming across a postcard. It was done in the style of a 1950s magazine. There was a, a hiker walking through the mountains. Uh, he had his uh, flat cap and a tweed jacket and his plus fours on with his rucksack over his shoulder. And coming in the opposite direction was this gnarled old Scotsman with his twisted cane in his hand. And the caption underneath said, The Sabbath. Hiker. It's a lovely day, isn't it? Scotsman. Aye, but it is the day to be talking about it. My vicar would have loved that. I was working for it at the time. I went out one Sunday afternoon between services to wash my car in the driveway and one of the parishioners dobbed me in. The vicar came round on the Monday morning and told me off for bringing the church and the gospel into disrepute by breaking the Sabbath laws. Oh, the Pharisees would have loved it. The Pharisees could be pretty miserable at times, although that's not really how they saw themselves, and it's not always how other people saw them either. We think of the Pharisees as just the bad guys in the Gospels, but at the time they were quite respected. They were a kind of renewal movement in Judaism. You see, people had looked back over the history of God's people, the history of Israel, particularly as they read the Hebrew Bible. And they'd said to themselves, look, there's a pattern here. Over and over again, we hear about how the king turned away from God and the people turned away from God and worshiped idols. They were unfaithful to God's covenant, the covenant that he made on Mount Sinai with Moses. They were unfaithful to the Torah, the teaching of God. They were unfaithful to the law. And because they were unfaithful, national disaster came upon them. They were defeated in battle. They were put to rout by their enemies. And eventually, the Babylonians came and destroyed Jerusalem, tore down the temple, and took the people into exile. And so they began to think, well, if being unfaithful to the covenant brings national disaster, perhaps being meticulously faithful to the covenant would bring national renewal and revival. 
not only religious and spiritual renewal, but a kind of political renewal as well. Perhaps we might finally throw off the yoke of the Romans. Perhaps we might become a great nation again in the Middle East. Perhaps, like in the time of Solomon, we might come to rule a kind of small empire all around the fertile crescent. But if that's going to become reality, if God is going to give us that destiny, then we have to be superbly faithful to the law, just as our ancestors were superbly unfaithful to the law. And so a whole series of renewal movements were born, most notably the movement of the Pharisees, people who tried to obey every aspect of the law in the minutest details of their lives. They were trying to be super faithful. So they were super faithful to the rules about tithing. Jesus, you'll remember, commented on that at one point in his ministry. He said, you're amazing. You tithe even the herbs in your cupboard. You, you go out and you buy your little Schwartz jars of parsley and mint and dill and who knows what. And then you get the scales out and you, you measure into the scales. Here, There's 100 grams. I'll slice off 10 grams like, like drug dealers with cocaine. But they're doing it with their parsley and mint and putting it aside in a little plastic packet and taking it to church to put into the offering. Meticulous over their tithing. And about keeping all the food laws, what foods you can eat eat, what foods you can't eat, how you prepare the foods, when you prepare the foods, whether you ritually wash yourself before you eat the foods, and of course all the rules about fasting, which is what they were picking Jesus and his disciples up uh, about in the beginning of our reading from the Gospel today. Why is it that we're fasting and even John the Baptist's disciples are fasting and your disciples aren't? And they kept meticulously all the laws of the Sabbath, the Sabbath day on which you must do no work. And what counts as work? Well, taking a journey might be work, and so you can't go beyond a mile on the Sabbath day or you're working. And healing people, that's doctor's work, isn't it? So you mustn't heal people on the Sabbath. And harvesting, that's farmer's work. So you mustn't take a handful of grain and crush it in your hand. And, and, and when the chaff is blown away, eat what's left because that's working. And that's a violation of the Sabbath. The Pharisees were tremendously faithful and tremendously observant of the Torah. And then along came Jesus and threw a stick of dynamite into the middle of the whole thing. Just blew the whole conversation wide open. I mean, that much is obvious just from reading the Gospels, right? And it's what made them so furious with him. But here's the question. What exactly was the stick of dynamite that Jesus threw into the middle of the conversation? You see, I don't think we always quite understand what it was. The key to all of this lies in the little saying of Jesus that comes in the middle of these other stories, the story about the fasting and there's two stories about the Sabbath. Verses 36 to 39, let me read them for you again. Jesus told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one, otherwise they will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say, the old is better. 
I mean, it's obvious what Jesus is saying, right? Here are the Pharisees sticking to their old ways, the ways of the Old Testament. They're still hanging on to all these finicky little commandments from uh, the Old Testament, from Moses on Mount Sinai, the commandments about tithing and fasting and all that kind of stuff. And Jesus is coming along with something new and exciting, the New Testament, the new covenant. It's time to throw out the old and to embrace the new. He's, he's coming along and saying, I am like a new Moses and I'm taking you in a new direction and it's all very exciting and it's time to leave all of this behind and to embrace what God is doing now. As though the whole picture were that for all of the Old Testament, God had been pursuing a kind of plan A and when he reached the end of the book of Malachi, he thought, you know what? It's not working. I think I'm going to have to do something else. It's time for a change. It sounds great and it feeds really well into all our prejudices that new are always better. I mean, new is always better, isn't it? Isn't that right? I mean, the new model of the car, the new computer, the new iPhone, the new formula, the new recipes, everything, everything new is automatically better, new and improved. The only problem is, that's not how people thought in the first century when Jesus was ministering. It's not how Jesus' contemporaries would have heard his words at all. We know about this because we have teaching of other rabbis from around about the same time as Jesus. And it's really interesting. One of those rabbis uses exactly the same image, the same picture that Jesus does. Rabbi Elisha ben Avuya, who was uh, uh, not perhaps well known to us, but is well known in uh, rabbinic Judaism. He was one of the people who brought the Talmud into being, which is a really significant uh, book within Judaism. He lived around the same time as Jesus, and he talked about the, uh, the ideal relationship between a rabbi, a teacher, and their student. He says, you want to know what is the best kind of student? The best kind of student is like a fresh, clean sheet of paper, not an old one that is worn and dirty and smudged. You write on it and the writing is already perhaps illegible because of all the mess underneath it. No, the ideal student is like a new, fresh, clean sheet of paper. In other words, he was saying, young students are better than old students because it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. I know that for myself. But now what about the ideal teacher? He says, a young teacher is like new wine. It's only half fermented. The job isn't finished yet. It's bubbling away. It's exciting. There's a lot of zest and zing and activity going on, but it hasn't settled. It doesn't have depth. It doesn't have body. But an old teacher is like old wine, seasoned wine, wine that has matured and finished fermenting, wine that has a rich and deep and complex flavor. And I think Rabbi Elisha would have understood entirely the words with which Jesus ends that section we just read, words that make no sense if it's all about the new always being better. Jesus says, no one drinking old wine wants the new, for they say, but the old is better. You see, here this is the thing. Jesus wasn't saying to the Pharisees, you guys, you're hanging on to the old, but I've come to bring in the new and exciting. Jesus is saying, no, what you guys is, have done is entirely missed the, the joy and the value and the wonder of the old. You are bringing in something new. God has presented us with this great gift on Sinai. He's presented us with the covenant. He's presented us with this relationship that he's offered. 
uh, and he's shown us how we might live and live well. And what you've done is come and bolted a whole load of new stuff over the top of it. You've invented a whole barrage of new rules under the guise of saying, this is how we should do it properly. And you've laid them like a burden on people's backs. You're like the new wine because you know what? Your message is all about judgment. It's all about constricting people's lives. It's all about holding them tight and saying, no, you must knuckle down and you must do the hard work and it might be miserable, but if it's miserable, you can be reassured it's holy. And Jesus said it just isn't because holiness isn't restrictive and miserable. It's open and gracious and merciful and joyful and life-giving. There's a wonderful sketch, if any of you remember the TV show, The Mitchell and Webb Experience, uh, a sketch about uh, two German soldiers in the Second World War. Hands. Have courage, my friend. Yeah. Uh, Hands, I've just noticed something. These communists are all cowards. <laughs> Have you looked at our caps recently? Our caps? The badges on our caps. Have you looked at them? What? No. A bit. They've got skulls on them. <laughs> Have you noticed that our caps have actually got little pictures of skulls on them? I don't, uh... Hands. Are we the baddies? Are we the baddies? That's the question the Pharisees should have been asking themselves. All this new stuff we've brought in, are we turning into the baddies because we're turning away from God's message of grace? And that was what Jesus hammered away at with the disciples all the time. You're tithing your mint and your parsley and your who knows what out of the herb collections in your cupboards. And you're forgetting the great and weighty matters of the law. Because God's law, God's Torah, God's covenant is all about grace and mercy and love and forgiveness and it's expansive and it opens up new vistas of living before us because it is about what Jesus called life and life in abundance because that's what God desires for us. He pours out, he showers out his grace and his love on us because he wants us to flourish. Just like the image in Psalm 1 where the psalmist says, the person who is rooted beside the living waters of the Torah, the living waters of God, the living waters of God's teaching and instruction is like a tree that flourishes and gives out leaves and produces fruit in due season. The message of the gospel is always a message of life, always a message of life. So here perhaps is the learning for us. If we ever find ourselves looking in the eyes of others and we want to talk to them about how God's holiness and God's calling means that they should constrict and restrict their lives, about how it's time for them to knuckle down and to obey the rules, about how it's time for them not to disgrace the church and the, and the gospel by washing their car on the Sabbath or playing cards on the Sabbath like my grandmother was always told was a great sin. If we think that it, the Christian calling is to shut the shops and shut the pubs and put everybody on a kind of permanent lockdown in the name of the gospel, we need to ask ourselves the questions that the Pharisees should have been asking all along. Hey, 
Are we the baddies? Because the message of Jesus, the message of gospel is always, the Sabbath is a gift. It was a gift to the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt as slaves. It was a gift to be given a, a day of rest. Tithing is a gift. It is an opportunity to return to God in thanksgiving for all the gifts he's given to us. Fasting is a gift, an opportunity to show our love for God by sacrificing to him even the food that keeps us alive and to say, no, no, I want to let go of that and instead I want to offer to you my love and my devotion instead of indulging my appetite, at least for a short while. Jesus calls us to be people of grace, to be people of love, to be people of mercy, to be people of the gospel by being people of life.